Hi, and welcome to Lily High on Life. I have a super special guest today, Sue Smethurst, who is an amazing human being generally, as you will find in this interview. And she's just written the most fabulous book, Tracing Her In-Law's Background, coming out of Poland. And it is in the next couple of days being launched. But I met Sue about 20 years ago in Los Angeles, which with her first book, I believe. And since then, so much has happened. So we're going to catch up and let you catch up with us. Sue, welcome to Lily High on Life. Lily, it is so lovely to be with you. And I can't believe it's been 20 years since we first met. My goodness, time flies. Lucky neither of us look a day older. Thank God. <laughs> and it really does feel like five minutes. So. It really does. Time flies, doesn't it, when you're having fun. Congratulations Absolutely. on all you're doing. It's wonderful. I'm super excited about life and being back in Melbourne and you know, this show is all about focusing on what's going on that you're enjoying and just finding more that you enjoy. And you're in the middle of enjoyment. Tell me first about what it's like to be on a book tour with such an exciting <laughs> book. And then we can go into a little more detail oh, about the book. It's so. wonderful. Uh, look, it's a huge relief more than anything to get this book done. It was a big, big project in our lives for five years, essentially, where I've been working on this. So I'm so thrilled to see it on the shelf um, and to be able to talk about it and to be able to share the story with people and to be able to hear other people's stories, which I'm doing a lot of now too. It's really wonderful. I'm really thrilled. How does it take five years to write a book before it's there? <laughs> well, this one particularly because it's a very detailed family story. It took a long time to do the research that was required. I was researching this um, from Australia, but there was a lot of work to be done in Poland. Um, but I guess it really began um, five years ago, just before my grandmother-in-law passed away, when I first sat down with her and started to unpeel this incredible story that she had. And then, of course, she passed away and the project sort of got sidelined for a little bit and our lives became busy with children and then there was another book to write. There was always sort of something else going on, but this sat on my desk the whole time and I just kept coming back to it and I was continually drawn back to this story. Tell then, just briefly tell us what the story is. So the story is essentially, um, it's the story of how my grandparents-in-law, Mindler and Kubish Horowitz, survived the Holocaust and made a life in Australia. And the theme that essentially runs through all this is a circus. My grandfather-in-law was a Polish clown with a circus, Staniewski. He toured um, Poland and performed in Warsaw. Uh, and he performed for the Nazis, and that was how he survived, um, in short. Uh, he performed with um, the Circus Staniewski, performing for the Nazis and was able to flee through that circus, flee Poland and then made his way into the Russia and straight into the arms of Stalin. So it's a very long and complex story uh, about their escape and how they escaped the Holocaust and then arrived in Australia, the lucky country as Pop called it, and made a life here. And while he was here, Eventually, he rekindled his career and became a clown on Channel 9's GTV's Terex show. And I'm embarrassed to tell you I actually remember the show. <laughs> <laughs> you must have been a baby. I, was, I just had wonderful cognitive <laughs> recollection from the age of zero. Great show. But so many, you know, you would think every story that could possibly have been told about the Holocaust has been told. But this is a completely new story with uh, so many new 
twists and turns. It is. And I think the one thing that I've discovered in the research is that although we think we know everything about the Holocaust and we think that we've heard, and I was probably the same, thinking that, you know, I think we know everything we possibly can. We really don't. And I think there are still so many stories to be unearthed and told and so many voices that we need to hear. And perhaps more than ever, um, I think it's vitally important that we tell these stories and that we make sure that that part of history is honoured um, and that we never forget. Absolutely. So there's so much that I'm sure you learned about and that explained a lot about your husband too. <laughs> certainly did. Purebred clown. <laughs> you, um, you were not Jewish and yet Correct. you married a Jewish guy. Yeah. And what does that bring with it? I think it brings an entirely new and wonderful culture and a learning. Um, you know, we yes, we fell in love. I, I'm not from a Jewish family. Um, I'm from a, a Church of England family. I'm very, ang you know. <laughs> so, but neither of us are particularly religious, and my husband's family were not religious either. So that was never a problem. But what it brought, I guess, for both of us was an understanding of a new culture, um, an understanding of new religion and a new heritage. And I think we both learned a lot. And how accepting were both sets of parents? Because I know that it's a huge issue or it's not, yeah. but it is what it is. And just understanding what it is is really helpful. It was no issue, um, which was lovely. I was welcomed into the family immediately and with open arms, and that's been absolutely delightful. And I think, um, I certainly think that through the process of this family research, we've we've got a greater bond than we've had even before. Um, this book has taken us as a family on a on a journey that we never imagined, and opened all of our eyes to our heritage and to the family culture. And I think that's been a really rich experience. And what were some of the strange things? Because we have, you know, it, everything from Shabbat. Yeah. to Passover, which could get really weird. Um, what were some of the things that do you remember that sort of stand out as being well, a bit strange? Well, the very first time, not so much strange, but my husband, Edie, you know, you'll see from the book, he is purebred clown. And my first Passover dinner that I was invited to, I was, you know, of course, a little bit nervous and a bit anxious and wanting to make sure that I fitted in properly with the family. And it was the first time I met um, Nana Manya, so this was quite a big thing. And my husband said to me, the most important thing to impress Nana is that you must eat everything on the plate in front of you. <laughs> and you must, or if she offers you seconds, you must take them, okay? And I said, okay, this was fine. So, of course, you know, by the time I'd had my 87th matzo ball and I had matzo balls coming out of my ears and, you know, and I thought, I'm, I, I just don't think I can cope with any more gefilte fish. But, and, and she watched me eating all of these things and she would say, Sue, you want some, you love this, you want some more? And I'd say, oh, of course, I'd, of course, Nana, of course I would. I could barely move by the time I left. And, of course, the joke was on me, wasn't it, the whole time? They thought it was hilarious what, what Ralph had done. Um, but it was everything in the family. I was always welcomed everything with a sense of humour attached to it, Love um, it. which was Love really, it. really lovely. And I've never forgotten that dinner since. And have you paid him back? Oh, many a time, <laughs> many a time. <laughs> and so with the children, they've grown up with the Jewish tradition. Do they go to a Jewish school? Do they, uh, is there, is that, is it important for you coming into a Jewish family 
to give them part of that heritage as well? The heritage is really important. They don't go to a, a Jewish school. Neither of our families are particularly religious and we, we felt that putting them into one religious stream or the other didn't really reflect who we were as a family either. So there was a conscious decision not to do that but also equally a conscious decision that they understood the culture and the heritage of the families and this sort of, you know, strange blend of family that we are. And it was very important to both of us that they really understood who the people were behind them and how they got here. And that was really, in essence, how the book came about. I felt it was vitally important that the children understood their grandparents' heritage and what they, what they fought for and what they survived and what they endured just to be here and all of those values that come with that that are really important. So we, um, we celebrate all of the occasions. We celebrate Christmas as much as we celebrate Passover. We're a bit here and a bit there. That's and great. everything is about, um, for us, the culture and the traditions and the heritage of celebration and family. So your family comes into the Jewish celebrations and yeah. your husband's family comes into the Absol Catholic celebrations. That's exactly right. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, nice. And we, we share Christmases. We share all of those things that are special and those events that are special to us together. And that's yep. really wonderful. So, so you had a lot of major milestones really at a, quite an early age. I mean, you grew up in rural Australia um, how do you even conceive growing up in rural Australia that there's anything more than what you see in front of you? I think I always knew that there was something more um, and that is partly my parents. Um, my, my parents were people who really pushed you to, to think bigger and broader than what was just in front of you and always encouraged me to pursue my dreams and, and be the best that you could be and, and not be limited by being in the country. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the city as well, so I grew up, you know, having a, a love of the city and I knew the city was very exciting and I wanted to get to Melbourne as soon as I possibly could when I left school. And that was really, um, they were the values that they, they taught us. So what did your parents do? Did your mother work? Both worked. My dad was a teacher and my mum worked as a bookkeeper. Um, they worked multiple jobs in their spare time. My mum was cleaning. Uh, they did everything they possibly could to support us to get the best education that we could and to achieve um, what they felt was they wanted us to achieve more than them and to have more than them and to have every opportunity and I'm very grateful for that. And where were their parents? What were their family backgrounds? Farming backgrounds. So both of my set, both of the grandparents on my side of the family were farming. Um, my dad's family were in a little place called Druin which is in um, Gippsland and my mum's family um, a place called Hazelwood North in Gippsland too. So they were salt of the earth, very hardworking people who built their lives and their families literally from the ground up. And a love story from high school. Yeah, basically. Ralph and I, we, we met very early um, and uh, it was meant to be, I guess, right from the start. Ralph made me laugh and still makes me laugh. The clown gene runs strong in this one. And now I completely understand why. Mm, so important to have humour uh, in a relationship. Absolutely. <laughs> takes you through the worst times as well. Absolutely. So your first job, you, did, you, did you finish uni? I don't think... I, I did not finish my final year. So I went to university, um, did an arts degree at Melbourne University. Um, coming to the city for a country girl was actually far more overwhelming than I imagined. I had a fabulous time um, and I spent an awful lot of time... Um, doing the things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, like being at the pub. I spent more time at the pub, I think, than I did in lectures at Melbourne Uni. But by, I just got bored. I really was quite bored with the arts degree. And I, there was an opportunity to come. A girlfriend had landed a job 
at what was then Pacific Publications, who published New Idea and TV Week and all of these incredible magazines, and it sounded very glamorous and fun. And she rang me and said, there's a job going as an editorial assistant, which is very junior, making cups of coffee for the editors and the journalists, at a sports magazine. It's a new thing. Um, you should put your hat in the ring. So I did that. And, it, and I was floundering at that stage, wondering what I was going to do with my career. And I you know, hated university, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do with life. So I took this job, and pretty quickly, after watching the journalists and the way that they worked, I knew that's it. I, I found what I wanted to do. And I worked very hard on weekends. I would go out and write stories and the journalists would, would mentor me and help me um, to sit in that. And, and eventually I got a cadetship, and it which was changed fun. my life. And it was fun and I loved it. I loved being there. I loved the environment. I loved hearing people's stories and being around people. And uh, I just, I found what, what worked for me. And have you growing up and as a child how would you describe your personality or how would your parents describe your personality oh, probably my parents more so than me I would say that I was delightful very well behaved <laughs> uh, mild-mannered they would say probably that I was a bit bossy a bit rebellious um, I probably thought that I was far better than I actually was I was the youngest of three and there was quite an age gap between myself and my brother and sister so I think that I was probably spoiled rotten mm. and um, given a lot of opportunities that perhaps my brother and sister didn't have and I don't think I really appreciated that at the time it's only now that I really look back and appreciate that because you were also the youngest editor I, you were only yeah. 26 26 when I became the editor of New Idea oh yeah. my god I mean yeah. a magazine like that with yeah. the international reach and everything at the age of 26 yeah and that's why I asked about how you'd be described, because you've got to be a bit bossy and uh, to, to, to take that on. But at the same yeah. time, it's one of the wonderful things about your personality. You're not afraid when you know that something should be a certain way to just go for it and make sure it is. I certainly wasn't afraid. And I think from the moment that I, that I really lucked into a career in journalism... It just felt so right. I felt like I'd found the thing for me and I wanted to, I guess, suck the marrow out of that as much as I possibly could. And the opportunity to edit a magazine like New Idea is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was really extraordinary. And they, and they were very different media days to the media that we see oh, yeah. today. So it really, you know, it literally was going into the office in the morning and finding that you were flying to Paris in the afternoon to interview Tina Arena or off to Mallorca to find Christopher Scase. It was it was a totally different time. And I look at, back on that with a real sense of fondness and, and just joy. I can't believe how lucky I was to have experienced that. Yeah. And then you've sort of certainly continued it because to find someone that makes you laugh and continues that joy for life and living is really super special. Well, we met we're actually at Sports Weekly, which was the magazine that I first started on. So I was a junior editorial assistant and, and my husband, Ralph, was writing a column. And I'd never met him face to face, but my one of my jobs was to sit on the phone with him and take down his copy for the editor. And he always made me laugh on the phone. He was hilarious. But the editor kept would say to me, 
do you think this guy's funny? I'm, not, I'm just not really <laughs> seeing it. I don't know. And he'd sort of hand the columns around the office and say, does anyone think this guy's funny? And there would be a general sort of, yeah, 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 no, it's funny, it's funny. And it's like, oh, I, I don't know. Um, but we had always gotten along and I think we developed a friendship uh, without actually really meeting one another or knowing one another. There was certainly a connection and a friendship over the phone and, and things That's really great. blossomed from there. And for people in today's day and age that don't understand... And don't have a phone. The, <laughs> yes, people... <laughs> articles were actually dictated yes. over yes. a telephone yes. that was stuck to a wall yes. so you couldn't walk around with it. And came by fax. And when I was editing New Idea, I mean, my, my first job at New Idea was as the picture editor and what would happen was we had the, you know multiple fax machines sitting at the desk and photographers from overseas would send us faxes with these images that we were then auctioning and buying you know and often in the middle of the night did we want pictures of princess diana or did we want pictures of fergie doing this fax machines i mean anyone under you know a certain age wouldn't <laughs> even know what a fax machine was exactly and then so I met you when at the the clothes. What was it called? The clothesline diet. The clothesline diet, diet which was that the was your first, first book. book. Yeah, the first book. Yeah. So you had a couple of advantages because you'd been in publishing and everything. But for anybody that's out there that's thinking about doing a book, yeah. What do you? What would you say? If, whether it's a book about their history or a fiction book or whatever, how do you? What do you do? How do you get there? You just do it. And honestly, it's, there are always so many reasons why we stop doing things. Find the reasons to do it. It's such a rich and rewarding experience. And it literally is a case of turning your computer on, having a blank page in front of you and starting and putting your thoughts down on paper. Everybody's got a story to tell. Everyone. We've all got a, an incredible story to tell. Um, but the most important thing is that you actually put the, some words down on the paper. If you've got no words, you've got nothing to begin with. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Nothing is ever perfect to begin with. It takes time and it or takes layers. Or even at the end, it's not perfect. Or even at the end, it's not perfect. But it's about the start and it's about putting something down and having that little nugget that you can work with and, and mould into something wonderful at the end. And you took that first book from Australia to the United yeah. States, yeah. which I love, over, always try to overachieve. <laughs> but what did you learn from that experience of that very first book and taking oh, it away? Everything, so much. We literally physically took that book and knocked on doors when, when publishers would not give us appointments. No one wanted to see us because we were Australian and we'd written this crazy Australian book and they had no interest at all. But we literally went to New York, walked the streets, went into publishers, knocked on the door and said, this is who we are and we'd really like you to look at our book. And we got published and it went from wow. there. And it was knocking on doors and being face to face. So we never, ever, ever gave up. No matter how many times publishers said no, we never gave up and we got a publisher and then and the book went on sale in the US and we were doing interviews on Good Morning America and all sorts of crazy things. It was really incredible. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. And doing it the hard way because things were a lot more possible in Australia than they were in America. Yeah. So yeah. it's you really did it the hard way. Yeah, we really did. We literally, you know, we, we wore the rubber out on our shoes, walking around, trying to get someone just to just to get a foot in the door to look at this story. Um, so that experience was brilliant. And then what was the next book? 
So the next book up, well, we did a series of them afterward. The Clothesline Diet was very successful and publishers kept coming back to us saying, can you do another version of this? So we did sort of a succession of those. And then I went off into business um, and set up a separate business. But publishing had always been in the background and journalism had always been in the background. And after my children were born and very young, I sold my business and the opportunity came back to come back into magazines with the Australian Women's Weekly. So I did that 10 years ago. And I've been back in magazines essentially ever since. But what a compliment to be out of an industry for that long, especially in Australia, and then to be invited back in. It was wonderful. And I really did feel like I was coming home when I went back. It was such a beautiful feeling. So from there, once I was back in magazines, I really did get the itch to write books again. So there were a number of books that came after that. Um, A story behind closed doors, which was a story of a... Uh, Catherine X, an Australian woman who suffered terrible um, abuse. There was Blood on the Rosary, the story of an an extraordinary woman, an Australian nun who fought the church to bring a pedophile priest. She fought all the way to the Vatican to bring a pedophile priest to justice. And that priest was her twin brother, which was remarkable. I missed that one completely. Extraordinary Called again? Blood on the Rosary. Blood on the Rosary, Okay. Uh, And then the last book which came out 12 months ago was A Diamond in the Dust, which was the wonderful story of a German woman, Frau Boschema, who, Boschema Bolton, who arrived in uh, Kununurra in far north, um, north of Western Australia on a farm. The farm was dismal and went bankrupt and her husband unfortunately died and left her alone in the middle of nowhere with three young children, but she rebuilt everything from scratch and ended up building the business Kimberly Fine Diamonds, which wow. which exported um, pink argyle diamonds to the world. And she's been very, very successful. So each of them has a theme which is unconscious, but I can look back now and, and it's really obvious. But they're all stories about really strong women who've taken control of their lives and done something really incredible with it. Well, it obviously speaks to you because you would think with the background that we've just had even in this conversation you've had more than a busy life but that really wasn't enough for you you also (laughs) decided to take on the cosmetic industry I did I did which was really fabulous I mean we had a I guess I'm a believer that if you've got an idea follow it through don't just don't just park it at the back and let it go actually take it on and do something with it and see where it heads so myself and a girlfriend um, Louise Dobson had an idea for a sunscreen based cosmetic product and we called it hissy fit and the range love the name it was well it was all about you know if you don't get what you want throw a hissy fit and demand it um (laughs) and we did and we so we set up the company and um, the business did very well and we sold it to an american pharmaceutical group and i yeah i remember at the time thinking because the concept was that it was not just a moisturizer but you actually put a tint or a color in the moisturizer as well So you got it all in one. And I thought, what a brilliant idea. And now they're everywhere in a dime they a dozen. Are, they but are. you really came, it was, you guys came up with that concept. We did. Concept. We kicked that. We, and now you have BB creams and CC creams and they're all the same sort of thing. But, but we kicked off this whole, whole idea of putting it in one and having, as quintessentially, having a sunscreen. Everything was made out of sunscreen. So you'd put on this foundation that felt more like a really beautiful product, but it was actually made out of pure sunscreen. So the business did really well. Um, we ended up having Reggie Wells, who was Oprah Winfrey's makeup yes, artist. Yes, how on earth as an ambassador. did you get, 
How did you get Reggie to come on board? Same again. If you don't ask, you don't get. So we tracked him down and we sent him products to try and he you know, received dozens and dozens of boxes of cosmetics from around the world every day, but he loved our name and it <laughs> stood out. So he opened the box and uh, loved our products and, and his management got in touch and said he really likes this. And we're like, wow, oh, that's great. I can imagine <laughs> getting a phone call. Game-changing. It was absolutely game-changing for us because from then we were able to get the products stocked in stores like Henry Bendel in New York, um, Sephora, and, you know, it was such a, a huge buzz, an enormous buzz to walk into Henry Bendel and literally see our products <laughs> on the shelf. I mean, I almost passed out with excitement, but it, it really proved to us that you, you really can do anything that you set so your mind to. Did you, how did you start it and bootstrap it? Did you have to go and get an investor or did you guys yeah. really... No, do so a lot on your own. We partnered um, from, from from day one, and that was really how the business kicked off. So, uh, one there was a, a pharmaceutical company in Australia called you would know the products, very famous, Dr. Lewin's private formula. And I'd had a lot of dealings with Dr. Lewin's when I was at New Idea. They were a major advertiser, and so I knew them very very well. I knew their owner well, and literally we we had lunch with him one day with Carl um, Lesueff, who was the owner of Dr. Lewin's and said, Carl, we've got this idea for this crazy thing. You know, do you think this is even possible? And he said, I love it. When can we start? Mm. And that was it. Um, handshake agreement, nothing formal, nothing in writing, just literally a handshake agreement with us. We trusted one another. And so we utilised uh, the people in his team who were formulating these products. And we'd sat down with them and said, this is what we want and this is what we want it to feel. And it took a long time. There was 12 months of going backwards and forwards, trying formulas, and you were just having your it. first child or that was I just was before just or just after? I was just having my first child. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, what was I thinking? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> I literally remember being very heavily pregnant and thinking, well, you know, this can't be that hard. Can it? I'll be, you know, back. I'll have a couple of weeks off and I'll be back and, I'll, you know, it'll be no problem at all. Of course, you're still in your pyjamas six months down the track not knowing what day it is. So that was a that was a uh, an eyes wide open experience. So your me. husband was obviously very supportive. <laughs> yes, he thinks I'm mad, I'm sure. He was very supportive. But he's someone who uh, says if you believe in something enough, just do it. Have a yeah. go at it. And we both live, we both have a philosophy in life to live with no regrets. Neither of us want to look back and think, oh, gosh, I wish I'd done that. Uh, and I think we don't fear failure either. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's that attitude of a, it can't be that hard is the best attitude to have because there is nothing that that's, that's that hard in life. It's just getting a symptom and an idea. Yeah. And finding a way to do it. And everything for us is, you know, it's about putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together, which was exactly the same way that I wrote this book. It really sort of started off, well, what do I need to know and who am I going to go to to find that information for me? That was how we started the business. We knew nothing about making cosmetics or sunscreen products, so we went to the people who we knew did and we sat down with them. And that's how I approach things in a very strategic way, I guess, to peel things apart and say... How is this going to work? Who can help me? Who can I go to and who can I speak to and where can I find the answers? And what about these? What do you say to these people who get an idea but they're scared to tell anybody about it because it's going? they might steal it away from them and so it never gets done? 
Well, I say you're you're not living your, as Oprah would say, you're not living your best life. Give it a go because you've got nothing to lose, and you will regret it if someone else does it before you. You know, you don't. But they're like scared to, to talk. Like when you were saying, you yeah. went to the people that had done it, that knew how to do it, and you shared your idea with them, and they helped you yeah. do it. People are scared to share because they're afraid they're going to be ripped off i think we'd for our in our case we'd had a long relationship with this with with this company and carl so it was about friendships and trusting relationships and that doesn't work for everyone if you're in an industry where you don't have those connections you do need to find people that you can trust and you can work with and probably a good team of lawyers and people behind you to look after it. but everything's possible everything is possible and i believe that totally in life are there setbacks that you remember as, as you've gone through things? Were there setbacks as you were working your way through any of the, the books or the... Because everybody has setbacks. What were yours and how do you overcome those? I think um, probably the greatest setback, and I wouldn't necessarily call it a setback, but perhaps the greatest challenge for me was having to adjust my way of thinking when my family arrived. So when my prior to my children arriving, I just thought, oh, this, you know, everyone does this. This will be a breeze. We can juggle these children and business and all of those sorts of things. And, you know, early on, as soon as your children arrive and you realise, actually, it's really not possible to be this sort of superwoman idea that you had. And I found that quite challenging to sort of accept is there something wrong with me that I can't juggle all of these things 24 hours a day? And no, that's that's pretty much how everyone feels. So accepting um, that there are some challenges and limitations to what you can do is a really, is a big thing <laughs> that I think I had to overcome. And I say that to other women too, especially new mums. Don't, you don't have to take on the world. Having a baby particularly is taking on the world. You don't the only pressure that you should have on yourself is to be kind and calm to yourself. Everything else can to wait. To yourself. Yeah. Because a really big thing is that you sometimes, not you, but all of us get so in ensconced in what we have to get done and what yeah. we have to get to that the concept of just doing nothing for an hour by yourself, for yeah. yourself, and even more importantly, taking just a time out so you can just be with your kids with yeah. nothing on your yeah. mind yeah. at all except them. It's okay to have those types of moments. Absolutely. It's not just okay. You must do that. You must do that because in the blink of an eye, life changes and those moments are gone and your children are grown up and you don't get that time again. But I think it's so important uh, we... We spend so much of our life rushing around and doing a million things and not necessarily looking after ourselves. Looking after yourself is the most important thing that you can do for everyone's sake. So what have your kids taught you about yourself? Everything. <laughs> they've taught me that I'm impatient, probably. Uh, they've taught me to slow down in a good way. They've taught me to appreciate small moments in life that I perhaps previously didn't appreciate and it they really they really have taught me to appreciate the simple things in life family and friends and moments in life life isn't isn't about the collection of things that you have at the end it's about the moments that you have along the way and that's really important to absolutely. us absolutely 
Eckhart Tolle, be it live in the moment. It really is so important. And what do you see of yourself of yourself first in your kids certainly there's a stubbornness in part of them which I think is not necessarily helpful sometimes Uh, they have humor but they probably get that from Ralph both of them have a very very good sense of humor Um, whether they get it from me or from Ralph or from other members of the family I'm not sure but there's a there's a, a genuine kindness and sense of justice with both of my children, which I think is really lovely and wonderful. They're very genuinely caring and nurturing people. And I've probably learnt a bit of that more from them too. Um, Do they say things and you think, oh, God, that's what I say or that's what my mother said? Or... Oh, absolutely. My daughter repeats things back to me. She's about to turn 13 and she, she does sometimes repeat things back to me and I sort of cringe and think, oh, my God, that's me. <laughs> okay, you know. Um, but they're at that stage where they're really... They're really absorbing life, you know, like a sponge at the moment. Every day and every minute and every hour, they are taking so much in and it's really fascinating to watch them learn. Yeah, and every age, you know, when they're toddlers, when they're babies, it's a special time. When they're toddlers, it's an amazing time. And then three, four, five... When you told me they were 15 and 13, <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, because they're really almost going into adulthood these they, days. They really are, and they're really lovely people, and I, they, they're just really great fun to be around. So we're enjoying these moments with them because we know that time, you know, they won't, we won't have those moments for too many years longer. They are growing, and they're going to go off and do their own things fairly soon, so we're really savouring the moment with them now. Mm. And having lost Ralph's grandmother not that long ago how how do you see your relationship and the importance of having both your parents and Ralph's parents around and there what part do they play in your life and how do you how do you actually feel about them now as as a mother yourself oh I look at them in awe really of what all of them did to raise us um both both my parents and Ralph's parents worked incredibly hard to build their lives and give their, give their families the best they could. So I'm, I'm very much in awe of both of them. We're very grateful that they're all around. And I say to the children all the time, and I think my children do understand, but we say to them, you know, you don't realise how lucky you are that you have both sets of grandparents, four grandparents in your lives. And, and they are very active in the children's lives, which I think is so wonderful and so lucky and that my children will have really great, valuable, fond memories of their grandparents um, for time to come and I think that's really beautiful. Are they heading, either of your kids, heading in a direction for that you can sort of see, oh, maybe that will be where they'll spend their uh, professional life? Not Clearly, although, I mean, both of them are really, um, they're both born entertainers. They've got the clown gene well and truly. They're thoroughbred clowns, both of them. I can see them going into something creative, both of them. I can, Have I they can, gone into acting or anything? They, they're, they're both involved in acting. My daughter's involved in dancing as well. Um, I, could, I could really see them doing something like filmmaking or I definitely think they'll pursue a creative path. And they have so many opportunities that, that both you and your husband have have opened up for them that uh, but also life could do opens anything. up for them now I mean the opportunities that that our children have now is far greater than anything that we ever had when we were growing up and we do stress to them that the world really is their oyster there is nothing that is off limits to them 
And in a sense, with all the negatives about social media and everything else, the huge positive in that is that anything and everything is possible. Absolutely. And they're learning. I mean, they're really, they're very engaged in international politics and all of these things that they're getting <laughs> access to that we certainly didn't have um, growing up when we had, you know, four channels on a black and white TV in the country. So I think it opens them up to the world being one big place, not just, you know, segmented. Uh, I think that's really interesting. And what do you like to do when it's just the four of you where you can just take a day to yourselves on a Sunday or a holiday? We do a couple of things. We love bike riding together um, and that's that's a really special time and we always, always have a family movie night at least once a week. So we take it in turns to choose a movie, although Dad is banned from choosing at the moment because his last few were terrible <laughs> according to the children. So he's on a ban at the moment, but um, we take in turns to choose a movie and we just have a really lovely family night together. Popcorn on the sofa and, and the dog in between all of us and that, you know, those little moments are the ones that are really important. And what do you still still like about your husband? <laughs> that he makes me laugh still. Um, he hasn't changed at all. Um, I probably haven't changed either. I think the fact that we can just be in one another's company and be friends and it's and it's not strained, it's just it's just great to be in his company. That's what and I really it's, love. It's such a special thing just to have that comfort level with the person that you've been with for yes. so, so long. Yeah, that's exactly What else right. have you got on your plate? Well, um, I may start working on a new book fairly soon, um, which is really interesting. So there's, there's potentially another book. There's lots of writing projects going on. Um, I sit on the board of the Australian Advertising Standards um, Bureau, which is really great fun and really enjoyable. So there's always lots of things going on and... Um, there's always another story to write and always it's someone else that I want to interview. So I'm very, I feel very, very lucky. Tell me a little bit about the boards and the, and the giving back that you're involved in. So I've just finished up last year, I finished up on the board of Destination Gippsland. I, I'd been chairing that board, which is um, a very large regional tourism board for the Gippsland region. I think having grown up there and moved away, I've realised how beautiful that area is and how much it has to offer. So it was a great joy to be able to go back and sit on that board and, and help um, shine a spotlight on, on Gippsland. Um, I've just, I've finished up on the board of the Ionia Hospital as well, which was wonderful, and the Ad Standards Board. So they're, they're the three that I've had through recently. Through people that you know and, and people, it came about through people you know or because of circumstances that required your involvement? Um, a, a little combination of both for each of them. Um, the Destination Gippsland Board, I was at my parents one day at their farm and saw a little ad in the, in the local newspaper at home and I thought, you know what, that, I could really help these people, this would be great. And they were looking for someone with, with a media background that could come in and help them and support them to grow. So it was a really natural fit and, and that I enjoyed enormously. As with ad standards, um, ad standards I enjoy enormously too. And, and the Ionia Hospital, that was a case of someone I knew who tapped me on the shoulder and said, this board needs someone with your with your skills and your background. What do you think? And, and I hadn't contemplated that sort of sitting on a hospital board before, uh, but I enjoyed it enormously. And um, for the time that I was on, I think it was really rewarding. Excellent. So with the access that you've had to so many... Um, people and areas of life that nobody, that people just don't have access to that. Yeah. 
what I love is that you're still the girl from Gippsland. <laughs> and really what That's I try okay. to do in some of in my interviews is sort of get into an area or a place that's sort of a bit uncomfortable. But you've actually led, just seem to have led such a blessed life in so many areas that, and I say that with, you know, it's such a positive yeah. thing because you have, you're aware of, of everything going on in the world, but at the same time you realise how blessed you are with everything that, that you've been given. And it's been wave on top of wave on top of wave. So I really believe that when you're in a certain mindset, it's like the law of attraction. You get what you put your mind to. Yeah, so absolutely. could you talk a little bit about putting your mind on something you want and then just realising, shit, I really can do this and I've got it. Yeah. You know? Look, I do I do believe that, that there is a, it is an element of the law of attraction too. And I think that if you put your mind to something and you really do put your heart and your soul into it and it means something to you, you always find a way to make it happen. No matter how many hurdles might come in front of you, you find the way to navigate, well, how am I going to knock that hurdle out of the way and move past this? And that happened a lot in the writing of this book. There were so many hurdles that came along the way. People dying, information that I couldn't get. And it was constantly a case of, okay, I need to overcome this hurdle. How am I going to do that? And, and that is part, I think, of strategy. And I'm also not frightened to ask people, ask people around me, ask someone that I know who might be able to help me if they know someone that can help me. And uh, open up those networks and not not be frightened to have those conversations and not be frightened to say I don't know this do you think that you can teach me how to do it yes and I do think that you learn a lot and if you have a willingness to learn I love learning I love learning something new and I and I really want to be a lifelong learner and I think that helps yes absolutely not being afraid to say look I don't know something help me out some yeah. people feel that they need to put on the pretense of absolutely knowing everything. That's right. I don't think it makes you vulnerable to say, look, I don't know this. I need, can someone help me out here? I actually think that's a really wise thing to do rather than pretend you know it or get lost in it or, or just put something aside because you don't know it. Take it on, tackle it head on, pull it apart and take baby steps if you need to. It's one tiny step at a time that will head you in the right direction. And every time you take another step and another step and another step, you're on your way to getting to that place that you've dreamed of. Before. And, you know, with these books that you've written, I also am just curious, You have you as yet had offers to make them into movies or TV shows even? Uh, not, not yet. It's interesting... Um, Oh, well, actually, sorry. I because they're yes. compelling. They are compelling. We have an we we do have an offer on the table at the moment for um, a diamond in the dust from a German production company who want to make a film about that. Um, so that's really interesting. Obviously, the Freedom Circus is just hitting um, bookshelves at the moment. So, but there has been some production companies that have come forward and said they would like to do something with it. Um, so, yes, I think we might see something with that. And is that something that you feel you'd like to really get involved in or just sell the rights or actually get into some television or movie production? I think it really depends. I'd, I, I'm happy to um, put it in the hands of 
someone who I think can faithfully do the right, can do it justice. And I think I'd, I'd be happy to leave that up to the experts to, to do their work with So it. that isn't an, an, the next passion into something <laughs> that you haven't done and you don't want to go back into makeup. But there's no. nothing really, you've you've got your your um, view of where you'd like your your place to be with your Very much now. so. And I think part of, you know, I, I do so much enjoy writing and being able to tell other people's stories and I, I really do feel that there are so many stories that still need to be told and that just gives me great joy to do that. And do you, do you, can you honestly say that you do have some time to yourself now once the book launch is open, over or just before it started where you can just get together with some girlfriends or something or is that life still a little too heavy work-wise for that to happen? It, it's a little too heavy work-wise for that to happen at the moment, but I'm planning that in the near future. <laughs> I promised myself after writing this book because it was um, it was an all-consuming project for a long time, and I promised myself that once this book was finished that I would just take a little bit of time to stop and breathe and, and you know, it's the old cliche, smell the roses, and, um, and I'm certainly looking forward to doing that. Excellent. I, you know, I can tell you, having lived back in Australia for three years after so long in LA and having yeah. so many good friends in LA, the wonderful thing about friendship is you can leave it for months or even years, but it, people do welcome you back and people yeah. do appreciate who and what you are. And I, I've got to tell you, it's like I saw you yesterday. I know. That was over <laughs> 20 years. So. I know. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited you wrote this book just so that we can do this interview. <laughs> we should have caught up a long time ago. <laughs> whenever it happens. But it really happens. doesn't feel like that exactly, long, does exactly. it? It's ridiculous. Just whenever. Sue, thank you so very, very much. I really appreciate your time and your openness. And um, I'm really looking forward to reading the book. I've read a number of reviews already and it's like, oh my God, she really did that. So, <laughs> Well, I will look forward to your review, Lily. And thank you so I much will. for having me and thank you for your beautiful podcast. It inspires me. So well done. Thank you.